Hey everybody, it's Charles from HumbleMechanic.com. Today I'm taking your questions on oil leaks, transmission issues, fuel vaporizers, and more. This is episode 215 of the Humble Mechanic Podcast. All right, in order to get a question on a show like this, email me, charles at HumbleMechanic.com. Put question for Charles in the subject of your email. At the top of the email, ask the question, mash the enter button, then give me the details of the question that does help out so, so much. Also, if you don't see your question on a show like this, be sure to check out the quick videos playlist on YouTube where I do one question per video. There is also the audio only version available on the website at humblemechanic.com or on your favorite podcasting platform. You can check it out and subscribe there. And remember, if you want exclusive content, discounts to places like Prime Sunglasses, MT Knives, Sonic Tools, Eastwood, Black Forest, Eurowise and more, check out the crew membership program. It's a great way to help support the show and more importantly, score yourself some awesome discounts. All right, that's wrapped up. Time to get to the questions. First one up says, I'm having an oil leak in my wife's 2012 Beetle under the vacuum pump area. And your video on the 2.5 was quite helpful. I'm hesitant in trying this repair by myself, but after watching your video, I feel like I'm able to do it. Awesome. Mainly wondering if the two liter turbo beetle is pretty close to the same procedure. Was there anything specially difficult? Uh, wondering also where the most common leak is from, the inner gasket, or does this have an inner gasket to leak? Looks like a metal gasket from the video, but maybe I'm seeing things. All right, so great question. First of all, it is totally different. The only commonality is it is a vacuum pump and it has a metal gasket. The procedure is way different. The good thing is, is I think anyway, the two liter turbos are much, much easier. You will need to remove the high pressure fuel pump, which does require you opening up the fuel system. So just be really careful. Um, there's multiple ways you can do it. You can disconnect the fuel pump and let the car run till it dies. There's a handful of other ways. There's actually a procedure in the scan tool to bleed off high pressure fuel. I've found though, if you especially do this with the car cold and hold a rag over the line and crack it loose, the pressure bleeds off just fine and you do not have an issue. Of course, take into account universal safety practices, wear your eyeballs, wear some gloves because you don't want to get a big old glob of fuel in your eye. I've done it before and it doesn't feel good. After the pump's off, it's a simple nuts and bolts swap. It's super easy. You don't have to disassemble the pump. You don't have to do any of that garbage that you have to do on the 2.5. It is a very easy, simple on and off of the pump. This is a pretty common source for oil leaks, but actually that entire top end of this engine is really common for oil leaks. A lot of times that cam ladder that functions as like a valve cover and a bearing bridge for the camshafts, that leaks too. The front upper cover leaks, the seal behind the cover leaks, the lower cover leaks, the rear main seal leaks. <laughs> There's a lot of places that oil can leak from on this engine. So just make sure that you're not only focusing on that vacuum pump, that you look across the entire top end of the engine and the bottom end of the engine to see just how much oil is leaking. There's a level of leak that VW and many manufacturers do consider normal if it's just like a little dirty. Uh, on the around the valve cover or even like right at the pump they really say don't worry about it and don't don't worry about fixing it that could be because they don't want to pay for it under warranty but if you're getting puddles of oil on top of the transmission bell housing or something like that yes it's going to be important to fix it trace your oil leaks the vacuum pump is common just make sure the cam ladder's not leaking too because those repairs do overlap if you do the cam bridge or the cam ladder or the bearing bridge whatever everyone calls it you're going to take the vacuum pump off anyway, so you it would make sense to do those together 
instead of doing one, waiting a while, and then having to take all that stuff right back off to do it a second time. Typically, those leaks don't cause any drivability issues like some of the other more major ones, rear main seal, timing covers I've seen cause check engine lights, or of course, PCV valve, another place you want to double check and make sure oil's not leaking up even higher than the vacuum pump. Look at that PCV valve. Make sure that it's not leaking. And you know what? This might be the perfect time to put a new PCV valve in it. You've got oil leaks anyway. The disturbance could already be happening with crankcase pressure. Not a bad idea to slap a, uh, a new PCV on it. It's super easy, 10 bolts or something like that, and two coils, and you're good to go. All right, next one up is from Robert. Hey, hope you had a great Thanksgiving. I did, and I hope all of you guys had a wonderful Thanksgiving as well. It was awesome family time, nice and chill and relaxed, no running around, and I ate so much food. A uh, relatively new subscriber recently purchased a GMC 3500 Denali, and I have two questions. What do you think about these so-called do-it-yourself fuel vaporizer kits that are supposed to give vehicles 100 miles per gallon? Uh, are there any products on the market that could be legitimately improved fuel economy? So, um, Robert, great question. What is, so I, I, I researched this fuel vaporizer thing, and everything I watched I thought was like a Saturday Night Live skit of a joke. I think there is a lot of validity to this technology working, but the way I'm seeing this done is mind-blowingly overcomplicated, not safe, um, or just a complete waste of time and money because it's not going to do what you think it's going to do. Yes, fuel vapor is what burns. That is the fuel, right? Gasoline vapors is what the fuel is. That is what's combustible. What I did find, though, is dudes taking gas cans, like two and a half gallon gas cans, filling them with gasoline and setting them in the engine compartment. Now, to me, this seems like an incredibly stupid thing to do. You are rolling around with an open ignition source. It was vented to the atmosphere. Maybe I just watched the worst video of all of them. But this, this okay, so this can work. And I see this really working kind of in a cool way, maybe with your generator at home or something stationary or a novelty on your lawnmower. But in a vehicle, I don't see it being a legitimate thing. Again, it can work. I just don't think it's a viable solution to getting better fuel economy. The product on the market that will provide you the biggest improvement in fuel economy is the loose nut behind the wheel, aka the driver, and more specifically, the driver's right and possibly right and left feet. The way you drive has the biggest impact in fuel economy, period. Learn some better driving techniques. I mean, you're driving a 3500, that's a big truck. You're never gonna get great fuel economy but learn some different driving techniques. Check out uh, cleanmpg.org, I think it is, for some hypermiler techniques. You don't need to become a hypermiler, but you can use these techniques to improve the way you drive when you're focused on driving with getting good fuel economy. For the most part, when I drive, I enjoy the drive, so I'm not as focused on fuel economy, but driving a big truck like that, you very well may be. There are also a lot of other really low-hanging fruit before you try to start re-engineering under the hood of your car. Things like your tires, good condition, good tire pressure, maintenance. You know, this is a, a 3500. I assume it's a gas engine. I, I don't really know. Uh, to me, when trucks get that big, they're all diesels, but I'm sure that's not correct. Make sure your maintenance is up to date. Spark plugs, fuel filter, air filter, all of that stuff needs to happen and you'll see a pretty decent fuel economy increase from getting your maintenance up to speed and more more specifically the tires are a huge one but the way you drive is going to have an enormous impact on fuel economy if i were going to design one of these fuel vaporizer dealies 
I think, like I said, I think it's cool. I think it works. It just doesn't make sense to me to have this functioning in, in the same, in, in a car. Um, I feel like if this were completely viable, manufacturers would already be doing some of this. Not wide scale, but small scale to improve their overall fleet's fuel economy. There are government regulations that your fleet has to have a certain average MPG. If you designed a car like this that got, I think, said 100 miles, hundreds of miles per gallon, why wouldn't they build a handful of those, send them out in their, in their fleet, and then now your overall average fuel economy for the fleet goes up. So I don't think it's a viable thing to do for a car. It might be a fun experiment, maybe for a generator or a lawnmower or something like that, but I wouldn't do it in a car. If any of you guys have built one of these or have any experience with it, drop it down in the comments and let us know how you feel about it and what you think and did it ultimately did it work all right next one up is from noah so we know you worked at a vw dealership for years but i'm curious what job you had before the dealership and what got you into cars and mechanics in the first place so Noah, great question my very first job like legit job where i got a paycheck uh, that had my name printed on it that wasn't just side hustle for cash or helping a neighbor out was working at a movie theater i was in the box office at a movie theater quickly got promoted to run the projectors uh, of the movie theater, which was really stupid to have 16-year-old kids running these 150 some odd, 200 million, whatever, whatever dollar figure projectors with tens of thousands of dollars worth of film reel and uh, and whatnot. That was so cool because I'd work for like an hour of an eight-hour shift. The rest of the time, I just wouldn't do anything. Looking back, I should have capitalized a little bit more on that time. But it was great because all my friends worked there, and, and it was a lot of fun. From there, I went to work at a sporting goods store called the Sports Authority, who's now out of business. Worked there for four or five years. Sold cars at CarMax for about a year, somewhere in the middle of that. Worked for a computer company, Tiger Direct. That was probably the worst job I've ever had. It was sitting in a cubicle trying to do cold call sales. Uh, they tracked where you went, so you had to slide your car to get in and out of the office. So they knew how long you were in the bathroom, and not that I'm a slacker or anything like that but I didn't really love having anyone track how often or for how long I was going to the bathroom. Uh, from there, I did decide to go to tech school. You know, getting into cars was kind of an easy thing for me, mostly because I loved the freedom that being able to drive provided. So that sort of pushed me into cars. My first car was a Jeep. So I started tinkering around with that car audio stuff, taking parts off, refinishing and spray painting, cleaning them up and putting them back on the car. A lot of fun that pushed me in, in the, the direction of cars. I was never like a car expert or anything like that. You know, I didn't live, eat, sleep, and breathe cars, but I liked technology. I liked to tinker around and I liked to fix things. So it was a pretty, pretty easy uh, transition into that world. Once I got the job uh, at the dealership, that was it. That was the last job that I had. So I've only had officially on the books five or six jobs. Uh, I've always had some kind of side thing going on, though, working for cash or helping somebody out. My grandfather ran a cleaning business that I worked uh, for years and years, like since I was like 13, uh, helping him out. So done a lot of things. But as far as like legit jobs, I haven't really had that many. And my career's probably been largely boring uh, when it comes to uh, actual work that I did. But you know what? Ultimately, worked out pretty damn good. All right, next one is from Christopher. Appreciate the many things you do and work that you put out there. I'm a VW enthusiast. I'd like to ask you a question in hopes that I can gain better understanding of what's going on with my transmission. I have a 2008 Jetta 09G. It shifts fine from one to three. I'm gonna guess one to two, two to three, but will not go into four, five, or six in drive or tip. 
done a lot of reading and transmissions seem to be complicated and there's a computer valve body yes they are they are simply complicated i've already removed the valve body and tested the solenoids completely disassembled the valve body cleaned it and updated it with a rebuild kit reinstalled filled the fluid still no change uh, from third to fourth so what should i do next uh, I'm a marine vet and don't make a ton of money and would like to get it fixed without getting ripped off or bringing it to a shop. Christopher, thank you very much for your question. Thank you for your service, sir. I really do appreciate it. What are we going to do about this transmission? Um, so I don't know how much diagnosis was done up until the point of dropping the valve body, disassembling, cleaning it, which is a common problem, get, you know, crap getting built up in the very small passages of the valve body and then putting it back in. Um, if faults were not checked before pulling that valve body we may have had an issue with like a gear ratio fault which typically means that clutch pack or the band or something isn't working right or is worn out gear ratio faults in, in the vw world are almost guaranteed transmission suicide at the dealer there was very rarely much more diagnosis involved uh, in, in a gear monitoring a gear ratio fault than simply putting in a new box now Granted, we did a lot of these under warranty. There was a recall, or not a recall, but um, a tech bulletin and campaigns like crazy about this 09G transmission in the 08 vintage valve bodies drop left and right. I mean, we put tons of valve bodies on to the point where you could pretty much do this valve body in your sleep, no problem. Um, and valve bodies fix a lot of them, but there were a lot that would cause shifting issues. Now this wasn't usually a three, four, five, no engagement of gear. This was a harsh shift one to two or two to one or two to three and sometimes three to four depending on how it failed for the most part again we could put a valve body in it it would be fine there were some that were so bad had gear monitoring or gear ratio faults that we did put transmissions in simply because for the cost of doing it at the dealership the cost of rebuilding or replacing the valve body and going into the transmission typically came close to exceeding the whole cost of a remand transmission box. So what can you do? None of that really helps you until I tell you what you can do. At this point, I would probably be looking for a salvage transmission. I know that's not ideal. Um, it's going to be cheaper than a new one, but there's a lot. Like, this was the most common transmission of that vintage. It's probably a 2.5 liter, and it's, I think that's actually the only one that came with the 09G in that vintage, if you didn't say it was a 2.5. So the 2.5 Jetta. 2.5 Rabbit, 2.5 Sport Wagon was a little newer than that, but 2.5 Sport Wagon, the Beetle might have been different. So we have a lot of vehicles that have the same or similar transmission. I'd probably find a used box and put that in. Even if that needed the valve body treatment that you gave the one you got now, it's probably going to still be cheaper than a remand box. The other side is, is if you can get a scan tool that will read transmission faults, and give you access to data, something like VADCOM, read the vaults, see what it has. And then go in, you can watch all the gear selections, you can watch what gears commanded, what gears engaged, you can watch all that stuff with the scan tool. I don't know the value box off the top of my head, that's why I like VADCOM, because it's all written out in there. But you can monitor all this stuff and see, is it commanding third gear and not going? Or is it never commanding third gear? That could push you in the direction of a TCM, rather than an actual transmission problem. Without, like you said, you don't expect me to diagnose it. Without getting my hands on it, I can't do anything. I can only tell you the steps that I would take, and it would be scan tool on it, 
and monitor what's happening when the transmission's not doing what you feel like it should be doing. Then we move our diagnosis out from there. We go to the TCM, we inspect the wiring. Perhaps it got hit, and maybe you have TCM damage that you don't know you have because you can't pull the fault. So get the faults pulled, get a scan tool that can analyze data from the TCM, see what's going on when it's failing, and then feel free to let me know what you find, um, but I think that'll pretty much tell you exactly what's wrong with the car. All right, last one of the day. I'm sneaking five on for you this time. I did five and the audio last week and four on video. Some of you guys let me know that you didn't love that. So we're gonna try and do five and see how it goes. Bad and cleanup is Jacob. I have a unique problem with my car. One day, just stop blowing air through the vents no matter what speed it's set. And along with the cigarette lighter and rear wiper stopped working. Any suggestions on what to look at? 2007 Rabbit, 2.5, four-door, five-speed manual, 103K, checked all the fuses and they were good. The next day after pulling all the fuses, it worked on my way to work, then cut out again the next time I started the car. Okay, couple of things. I hope you didn't actually remove the fuse and look at it and put it back in. If you did, you probably have a loose terminal in the fuse panel or a fuse that's coming apart. So pulling fuses out, looking at them, I hate, I hate that. The odds of you getting it installed in the wrong location are high, and you can't always see that a fuse is blown. I know some of you are saying, Charles, I can see a fuse that's blown from a mile away. I get it. You can, but not everybody can. I've seen professionals look at fuses and go, yep, that looks good. You put it back in. You put a test light on it or a meter on it. It's completely open. So for the masses out there, you can't always see that a fuse is blown. And again, the odds of you getting it in the wrong spot are pretty high. I've seen it so many times. My guess is you have a fuse plug or a fuse port that's probably got either some burn spots or corrosion or the terminals are opened up a little bit and that fuse is making poor contact. That would explain why when you took it out and put it back in, it started working but when you went the next day, that connection opened up. Maybe it was really hot that next day and that caused that connection to open up. I've seen this with the fuse for the blower before. It might not be the fuse for the blower. It might be the fuse for like J519 that's causing some of these other things to go wrong. You may have multiple things on this one fuse circuit. There's a whole ton of things that can go wrong and can point to the problem. So here's what I would do. I would do two things. First thing, start my car, turn the blower on, Turn what did you, what else did you say was wrong with it? The rear wiper, and maybe plug something into the 12 volt outlet. And then I would open up that fuse panel and I would start wiggling the fuses. I would start moving them. And you know what? You might actually find that at one point your fan kicks on. I, this is how I diagnosed the last one that I found. I just started wiggling the fuses. I actually had my test light on it, checking fuses with the test light and wiggling the fuses. I say test light, it was probably a power probe. And the fan kicked on. I knew what fuse I had, I pulled it out, terminals were spread. For some of those terminals in the fuse panel, you can get replacement for it, either the bridge or the actual terminal end, depends on what you find. You can get replacements for a lot of those. The ones in the car anyway, under the hood, it gets a whole new box, but that's super easy to do. That would be step one, and if I didn't find it there, next you're going to really benefit from pulling all the faults of all the modules. You may see that you have a fault in the J519 for no comm or some other problem. Maybe there's other things going on that you just haven't seen go on yet. You may find that J519 is tweaking out. That of that vintage, it was 07. That had a handful of relays in the front. One of them was air conditioning. There was a couple other ones as well that could be causing your issue. J519 is a main player of the Volkswagen electrical system. 
uh, from, oh, I don't know, 05, 06, I guess, technically 05 and a half and 06. It's a huge player. So uh, that would be the module I would start with. But go back and wiggle test your fuses. And I'm almost going to bet you're going to find what your problem is. I don't know the fuse offhand. I want to say if you have the bigger fuses, it's going to be more towards the front of the car, towards the top. That's just a guess. I could be totally wrong. So do that. Find that to either be or not be the problem, then move on to J519 diagnosis, which you really will need a scan tool for. All right, guys, I'm going to wrap it up there. Questions, comments, you know what to do. If you like the video, thumbs up. Always appreciate that. Don't forget to subscribe. Ding the notification bell either here or over on the blog at humblemechanic.com. If you want to support the show, check out the crew members I talked about at the front side of the show. We got a Patreon as well as the Amazon link. You guys are probably going to be doing a lot of Christmas shopping on Amazon. Do me a huge favor, hit that Amazon link, buy what you were going to buy anyway. It doesn't cost you any more money. It just gives me a little credit and that helps me pay the bills and keep the lights on and keep bringing you guys great stuff. You can follow me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and of course on Snapchat. All right, guys, thank you so much for watching. I'll see you next time.